Morning once again. Glad to be here with you all this morning. I appreciate the elders giving me the opportunity to speak. Um, speak to you from God's Word. If you are a guest with us this morning, a visitor here in person or online, we're so grateful that you're here this morning. Um, Tony Cloud is our minister. Um, that works here, but he is out of town right now, and there have been quite a few of us brothers standing in his place, and I appreciate the honor and privilege to be able to stand and preach God's word to you. For those of you all that that know me, uh, I I stay so much in the foundational level when it comes to God's word. I believe there's opportunities and time um, when you should uh, advance to that meet those meteor subjects, Meteor, 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 meter, those ones that have the meat on it, you know what I mean, <laughs> subjects. Uh, but I think oftentimes we have a hard time, you know, figuring out those, what's been talked about when it's over our head because we don't have a good foundation or our foundation has crumbled just a little bit. And it's, it's good for us to be reminded, I believe, of what God says God's word says to help strengthen our foundation. And so today I, I wanted to speak to us on the eldership, the life and work um, of elders. And I chose this because uh, I was talking to one of our sisters here some weeks ago. And I said, you know, sometimes when I sit back and I'm trying to think about, well, what would be the next thing I teach about if I have the opportunity or I get to preach about if I have the opportunity? And most um, men, I believe, if I can speak for myself, I guess, I look around a congregation and see well, what what is it that the congregation needs or what is what is missing? And there's there are some things that I, I see. I'm like, I don't think you know what elders are actually supposed to do. Or I no, that's that's not in the realm of what elders are supposed to do. If you turn to First Timothy, First Timothy chapter three, I'll be reading starting at verse one. The scripture there says, "The sand is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task." Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage uh, his own household, how will he or how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or some of your versions may say a novice, or he may become puffed up with, with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, 
so that he may not fall into the disgrace, uh, into the snare of the devil. Again, I'd like to welcome you to this study. And I want you to understand one of the other reasons why I chose this lesson. Because the church, one, always needs good men who desire to be uh, elders or shepherds of the Lord's body. Secondly, here at Anchor's congregation, we need more elders. These two brothers here often remind me I'm the junior elder, that I'm the young one, that they're older, but in all seriousness, that we're not going to be around forever, and that we need to continue to train men, boys for sure, and men um, to know and to believe and want to desire to become elders. It's important to have knowledge of what the office of an elder requires from that man and that has the desire to become one. It is my hope that you get your Bibles out, I hopefully you do, and that you stay engaged as we study this important lesson. The Greek word that you find in the New Testament for elder is really a combination of several different words. And in fact, in our English Bibles, there are six words that are used to describe the office of an elder. Yet, in the Greek New Testament, there are only three words. We're going to take just a moment to discuss these words uh, to help us understand exactly what the office is and what it work is entailed that we're talking about here in the New Testament. The first Greek word, which is often translated by one of two English words, is the word presbruteros. And that word means elder, or it may be translated as presbyter. This is someone who is governed by elders or overseen by an eldership. For example, use of this word can be found in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, when Paul writes to the elders at Ephesus to come and visit him or visit with him. They're the overseeing body of the Church of Christ in that area. Then there's the Greek word episkopos, which may be translated by one of two English words, bishop or overseer. It means those who are in charge of, those who are watching over the body of Christ. And it's used in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, where it says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Don't you just love technology? <laughs> I apologize. Made you overseers. One who is looking out for, looking over, or watching out for the flock of God's people. The third Greek word that may be, again, translated by the two words, uh, two English words, is the word pormen, P-O-I-M-E-N. I thought it was pormen, but I looked it up and it's pormen. That's for my kids so they didn't know that I am pronouncing it right. That is the word for shepherd. Or some translations will use the term pastor, and it includes leadership qualities. One who is leading the flock of God's people. This word for elder is used both in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and also in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. When it reads, shepherd the flock of God. For some of you, for, for some of you listening, it may come to a surprise to you that when I mention the word 
poor man, or which is the word translated um, sometimes to pastor, that this is not applied to the preacher. We don't have a pastor here. We have pastors. Uh, and I want you to listen closely as, as we talk about this. When we talk about the work of the elder, we're talking about elders being the pastors. In the New Testament, you'll find, you do not find in any way, shape, or form the preacher being identified as the pastor. The word pastor in both the Greek and Old and our New Testament, excuse me, translations refers to the work of an elder. And sometimes I hear people say when I, <coughs> excuse me, when we're talking about God or the church, well, who's your pastor down there? Well, who, who, who's your senior pastor? You got a junior pastor down there? You're telling them, wait a minute now. We, we only read about the plurality of elders who were the pastors in the New Testament. And the preacher was not used with that designation. That was not applied to the local work of the preacher. That's the work of the elders. If you're going to have any type of organization, if you're going to have the church that the scripture de- describes with the life and work of an elder, we need to realize what the Holy Spirit designates their function as. In the local congregation, there is a plurality of elders. There's a plurality of elders. We have three here. Those elders in First Timothy, excuse me, First Peter chapter five, are the shepherds. They're the overseers. They are the ones put in place by God as the pastors. The preacher works with a local congregation under the under the eldership simply to proclaim the message of God. Words like preacher, evangelist. And minister are used in the Bible to describe the work and function of a preacher. We don't find the terminology of pastor used to describe the minister in the Bible. I know it seems like, well, Jayla, you're just being redundant. You're saying that over and over. Okay. But watch when you go out and talk to folks. They're going to still call Tony the pastor. And I hope now, if you didn't before, you have a greater understanding of truly what that word means. In Acts chapter 20, we first learn that part of the life and work of, a, of godly elders is to be mindful about how they live their life. The Apostle Paul says there in Acts chapter 20, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, amongst which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. With his own blood. Part of life, the life and work of an elder is to look to his own life and to make sure that he is living the way God wants him to live. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter um, 3 and you'll read both in verses 2 and 7 that their life is to be one of self-control. One that they have control over. They're to be sober-minded. That is, to live in harmony with the teachings of Christ. An elder's life is to follow the principles you find in the Bible. As we think about the life and work of an elder, who's going to follow someone or get behind someone whose life is in shambles? I know I wouldn't. I'm currently still in the military, 
And I know that if a general or a colonel was leading me and, and they, their life was in shambles or they could not lead well, I wouldn't want to follow them. Whose life has not been lived according to the teaching of Christ? Talking about an elder. If, if an elder is not living towards, uh, in, in a life that's leading towards Christ or the teachings of Christ, I don't want to follow them. I don't want to be around them. If we want to talk about reputation, we talk about how people in the world view that man. Those men, we want to talk about and learn about how they live. Is that man that we are considering to put up as an elder or ones that are leading as elders, are they trustworthy? Do they have all the qualities and qualifications we read about in God's word? Because if they are not living the way God wants them to live, how in the world can any man who desires to be an elder shepherd the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? So, again, here at Anchors Congregation, we're looking for men who are going to live exemplary lives. We're looking for men who are honest, who are trustworthy, who whose word actually means something when they say it. They're not just talking just to hear themselves talk. Who are trying to pattern their life after the teaching of uh, Jesus. Now, I'll tell you right now, we're not saying that these men have to be perfect. No one's perfect. James Harris isn't perfect. Ken Gilgore is not perfect. I'm definitely not perfect. We all fall short from time to time. But what I am saying is that we need men who are desiring the office of an elder who must be above reproach. They are to be men who, when things happen to them, or they're happening with them, or they're causing to happen, they're willing to make it right and try to get in harmony with the teaching of our Lord the Savior Jesus Christ. So if we look at the scripture again, one of the first things that Paul says there in Acts 20 is take heed to yourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 27, Paul speaks about his own life when he says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, subjection. That's when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. Every leader in the Lord's church, not just here at Anchorage Congregation, but every shepherd, every every elder in the Lord's church must look to his own life first. It's, it's like Paul saying, get your house, get your own house in order before you can begin to teach and shepherd others as well. A second quality in Paul's uh, message there in Acts in chapter 20, as we think about the life and work of an elder, is that they have to be focused on the spiritual warfare of the church. Their priority must be always the spiritual warfare of the church. Because Satan is always ready to pull us down, to break us apart, to divide us. Notice again in verse 28, Acts chapter 20, where Paul says, Take heed to yourselves. And then he says, and to all the flock. What's the work and life of an elder about? Listen carefully. I do understand that being an elder, that sometimes there are, there are things that, that require us to have some type of business skill. I also understand that we have to know how to manage certain things, but that is not our top priority. Sometimes they may get confused that that elders or this eldership um, 
We may just be making decisions behind closed doors and and uh, about the functions of the building. You know, I mean, we go so much further than that. The top priority of the work of an elder in the Lord's church is to take heed of ourselves and also of the flock. We're to be concerned. Elders are to be concerned about the spiritual warfare of God's people. Now, what does that imply? And what, what does that actually mean? Well, it implies and it means that they're responsible for the flock. We're responsible for this flock, the members of the congregation. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews 13, we'll notice this text that teaches us the importance of elders and making sure that they they realize their job is a very serious job. The scripture there says, in Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So when you take on the work of an elder, you're taking on a serious responsibility, which ultimately you're going to be responsible for the souls that you shepherd. Going back to Hebrews 13 there, it says... Let them do so with joy and not with grief. I didn't quite understand that before becoming an elder. I mean, I kind of did, but I didn't. I understand it so much more now. And sometimes being an elder is hard because it comes with a lot of responsibility. It comes with people not always agreeing with you or not liking the decisions that you, you have made. And sometimes some, some members of the body make it hard to be an elder. But you know, what is wonderful about being an elder is that we get to pray for your souls. We get to watch out for your souls. We want and desire for you to go to heaven as we're trying ourselves to get there. So it's a serious responsibility. That doesn't mean that we can make anyone do something. That doesn't mean that as an elder, we can force anyone to do anything. That's not the idea. But elders have to do our best and their best to give spiritual interests, the spiritual interests of the flock, the type, uh, top priority. Meaning that we want to provide opportunities for spiritual growth. Elders want to provide Bible study and they want to provide encouragement. Shepherds and bishops, pastors should want to have, um, provide opportunities where identified members of the congregation can learn and grow. It's been difficult in the last few years to do, to do that, but that doesn't mean that we haven't tried and to provide that. You know, um, where the building doors have been closed at times, we still had the live stream. There's so much material out there on the foyer table. 
and on the walls and things that we have on the website and on the Facebook page and you name it. And, and then we still have phones that we can pick up and call and talk to one another and encourage one another. We have to re- always provide. It should be the elders leading that uh, opportunities for spiritual growth. Elders also have the job, and, and I think many don't like this, but it's part of the job, a part of the office, the responsibility of the office, that is, of disciplining members when members are behaving contrary to God's word. I want you to hear this. We, the elders, we love every member of this congregation, and elders are supposed to love the body of Christ. And we want, again, for everyone to go to heaven. But when a member's life is not like it ought to be, or according to the Lord's um, word, steps must be taken to do our best to bring them back to the fold. Now, here's what happens sometimes. Sometimes a member in the congregation gets caught up in sin, and they just kind of drop off. No one knows what's, what's happened with them. While we all have a responsibility to reach out and find out what's going on with them, elders ultimately have that responsibility to check up on them and find out what's going on, to try to bring them back to the fold. Because you see, on, on Judgment Day, elders, those who have served well and those who have served at all, are going to give an account if they don't do their best to reach out to them. I'm not saying again that elders can make anyone not sin. Elders, shepherds cannot force someone not to sin. We just, we don't have that power. But my question to you is, have the elders where you are at now or where you're at, where you've been, where you may, Lord willing, go in the future, have they tried to reach out to those folks? By any means necessary, did they talk to them? Have the shepherds encouraged them to repent? Have the elders talked to them about the passages in the Bible that teach on this fellowship? Which is necessary to save their soul and must be practiced if they continue to live in that type of lifestyle, whatever that lifestyle that is, that is that's part of sin and is pulling them away from the church. In Matthew chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 18... 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 2 Thessalonians 3 all mentions the things I just talked about. The spiritual interests of the flock, God's people, must be the eldership's top priority. Now, the third principle that we see in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, is to realize that part of life and the work of an elder means that in matters of expediency or usefulness, benefits, or, or convenience, in matters of functioning and fulfilling the work of God, elders do have that authority. That doesn't mean that they do it all by themselves. It's a wonderful thing for us to have deacons um, within this congregation. And when I'm talking about expediency or convenience, you're always sitting in um, rel- relatively new chairs that we have and carpet on the floor and the lights are on, those, those type of things. You know, we, we still have to make decisions on that and the functioning uh of, of the building and, and the work that goes on here. But listen to what it says there in Acts 20, 28 again. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. God himself has placed elders 
as the overseers, those who are in charge of matters of expediency and in charge of the local congregation. Elders should follow the Bible and do what the book says as God has given them commandment to do so. And you might say, well, Jaylee, that that's just, I mean, that's a no-brainer in the Bible. I don't know if you have, but I've been places where I've served under eldership that never talked about the Bible, that did not uh, behave in ways that they should, the men that is, and there was no no church discipline, no no discipline that came from the Bible. And when any time it was brought up, well, we just want to keep people in the seats. You know, if they're doing things that they shouldn't, but they're here, it's all right. That's not what God's word instructs elders to do. Look at another passage there in First Peter. I'm talking about the elders and their authority. I bring this up because I know that some in the world, I mean, excuse in the church, but throughout the world, that is, have problems with elders and authority. Well, notice what First Peter says in chapter 5. It's not about just their authority, but it's having the right mindset to approach it. Verse 1 says, The elders who are among you, I, you I exhort. I who am a fellow elder. Now, Peter is speaking from the elder standpoint. And a witness of the suffering of Christ, also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. Now, how do you do that? I'll tell you right now, you can't do it by compulsion because nobody um, forced you, that is, as an elder, but willingly to be one. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly desiring to serve, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, is it true that elders have been given divine authority by God in these matters? Yes. How do we use that authority? I don't have one. I don't think James or Ken has one, but uh, we don't use a whipping stick to get people in order. I, I think that would be an issue. They do use, and elders should use it, uh, should not use force to force people into submission. That's not the idea. The scripture there says, as examples to the flock. So must elders set standards? Yes. But they have to make decisions on, on, they have to make decisions on how the Lord's money is going to be used, such as like in, in evangelism or are we going to get a new bulb? I mean, some of this is not things that we personally do. We have deacons that are doing this, but are we going to spend money to buy a new bulb for, for the uh, projector up there? Are we going to ensure that the building stays warm? How are we going to grow? How are we going to grow in this congregation? How are we going to grow back? Is our focus on trying to get everybody back into the building only? Is that our focus? Are we trying to grow in the sense that, oh, we just get more people here? Or are we talking about spiritually? Those are the matters that we should be thinking of and talking of elders should be, be, be discussing. How are people going to be reached? How are we going to reach people in, in the surrounding neighborhood right here? Be, besides just the world, what about right here in Anchorage, right, right around the bar, right around the building? What about the functionality of all of that? Who is going to do the work of that? The answer to all these questions is a resounding yes. Elders have that authority. The best way to do 
um, this and to lead is to lead by example. Elders don't need to sit back and sit in the back and say, hey, we, we formulate a plan. You all go out and do it. Nope. It should be uh, we formulated this plan. We're going to be out leading it. We're encouraging you to help us with that work. Hopefully you've been hearing that from us. And if you haven't, you're going to you're definitely going to be hearing it. But I think that's what we've been trying to do. Because that's the best approach you can ever take when leading any group of people. Elders have been given divine authority by God. But that authority must be used in the right way and form so that God and his church can ultimately be glorified in all that is said and all that is done. Now let's talk about a fourth aspect right there in Acts 20 and 28 of the life and work of an elder. Elders in the Lord's church must be good leaders of God's people. Listen again what it says there. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you shepherds of God's people. Shepherd the church of God, he says there. Shepherd the church of God. If you think about the idea of a shepherd, you can see the leadership that's necessary. Now, I don't think I I don't think any of you all out here, though uh, Alaska is different. I don't think anyone out here owns any sheep and passion in the backyard. James, I don't think you have any. Um, but you have to think about the people that you're talking. He's talking to right now. They will know. They will know about a shepherd and what a shepherd does. Many of these people have come from that type of background. They may have been shepherd with sheep in the field that would follow them. And then when you think about those folks, you realize that a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I, as I was typing this up, I was thinking about David, about how David was a good shepherd, how he would feed them and take care of them. They were like his own family, as it were. And wherever the good shepherd goes, those sheep are more than happy to follow him. When they see that shepherd, when they see that shepherd, they see safety. They see the shepherd, they see food. They know comfort. They know the best life comes from following the shepherd wherever he goes. Now, how truly especially, how true especially is that of the life and work of an elder? People will get behind somebody who's a good leader, right? They'll do that. Who's got their best interests at heart? Who's trying to live a good life as he ought to? Not perfect, but trying to do their best to follow Christ. Who's trying to provide good spiritual food for them? Who brings safety and prosperity to that flock? You can look and see how good leaders can have an infectious and very good way of reaching out to others. And that good work can be seen among the congregation. So we here at the Anchorage congregation, we want men who are good leaders. Now, I understand that that doesn't fit everybody. And then, you know, not everybody... I don't know. People have said, "Oh, you're you. You can be a born leader." I I don't know that I believe that. I believe that uh, just in anything you can be taught well. But there are some folks who I I just don't want to be a leader, or I don't know how to lead. There are some men who are not leaders, but uh, and who don't have that type of mentality. But maybe there are some who might grow into that. But it's important that you understand. Just because you want to doesn't mean necessarily that you fit the qualifications. That you may desire to do so, but you may not 
fit what the scripture says. But say you do, but you don't know how to do it. There's help for that. There's there's so many books that are out there to help us learn and how to be elders and how to do it better and and brothers in Christ who and and even sisters because you know you sisters who who have been wives of elders and those that are currently wives of elders you are very important as help me to ensure that we continue to remain elders along with our children but we can also grow boys into men who have that quality those are the kind of people we need in the Lord's church who are going to try their best men to lead God's people. You see, Jesus is the chief shepherd, according to 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 5, 3 through 4. We can look at his life. We can look at his teaching. We can look to the sacrifices that he made. We can look to the good that he did, that type of life. It makes you want to get behind him and follow him. Jesus walked up to some men and said, follow me. And they dropped everything they did, had, and followed him. I mean, I don't know. Would you? I, I think about that. I'm like, Jesus was, must have been a really great leader. We want to, as elders, walk in the footsteps of Jesus. First Peter 2, 21 says, For this, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. That's not hard when you see where those footsteps led. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As I look to Christ's life, you you talk about somebody you want to follow. There it is. And we need elders like that in the um, church of the Lord Jesus Christ who want to follow Christ. Because when you're wanting to follow Christ, you will try to lead your life as he did. Now, another quality that we mentioned as it relates to Paul's address to the elders at Ephesus in Acts 20, is that elders must realize the amazing responsibility and privilege of being an elder, something that should not be taken lightly. Now, how do we know that? Again, back in Acts 20, 28, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, I just want us to stop for a moment and think about that price. That was paid for the Lord's church. For us. Those who are members of the body. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church. One day Christ. He's going to come back. And he's going to take with him. Those who are in the kingdom. The kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20-24. According to Ephesians 3. 10-11. The church is the divine eternal plan. Uh, was in the divine eternal plan of God. And it's that place of safety where all the saved will be. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved, Acts 2.47. Now, in view of all of that in those scriptures, elders have the high privilege and the amazing responsibility of taking care of and leading people in the Lord's church. Again, be reminded of what Hebrews 13.17 says. Rare to obey those who rule over us and to be watchful, for they give an account for our souls. It is a privilege to lead God's people. As a man, you can have no higher, no nobler, more serious work in all the world 
than being an elder in the Lord's church. You know, you, you're teaching, you're encouraging, you're trying to get people to understand that God is good. He always is. And you had the tremendous responsibility of trying to lead God's people to heaven. And it's hard to do that sometimes, especially when, you know, you have things going on in your life as well. And you're trying to get right and be right with God also. It's a serious matter. You know, I say this and emphasize it for a reason. Sometimes I think people would think it to be nice, some men be nice to be an elder so I can I can rule, I can, I can make decisions for the congregation, and, you know, I can be in the pre- preeminence. But consider the seriousness of the office. It's a great thing, the greatest work in all the world. I think Tony reminded us at one time that uh, President Garfield, who was a member of the church, said he, he left the greatest office on, on earth. He, he stepped down to be president of the United States. It was a great thing, I believe. Man, you need to think about this seriously. Are you willing to commit the effort? Are you willing to commit the time? I say this in all honesty. Are you willing to commit the heartache that may, it's not may, it's going to come. There's going to be heartache that will come because there are people that don't want to follow the teaching of Christ. Are you willing to commit to doing your best to try to help people to grow and come to the understanding in Christ? Will you try to help fill the Great Commission? Yes, why is this a serious, a serious responsibility and privilege? Man, I'm telling you, it is the greatest work in the world. Let me also mention this part of the life and work of the elder in the Lord's Church. In verse 29 of Acts chapter 20, Paul is now going to emphasize Part of the work of an elder is to protect the Lord's church from the false doctrine and false teachers. Paul says this in verse 29. For I know this, he is saying. Here's something you can be sure of, he's saying. I know this after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. When you think about a shepherd like David, as as I talked about earlier, out there in the field, and imagine, imagine he's here. And you think about the main threat being, say, a bear or, or a coyote or a wolf. If you ever raise cattle or chickens, it, it's a big threat. Um, even with that, you know you've got cattle and you're, you're having calves and those calves are vulnerable and a coyote might, he just might slip in. You've got to be watchful. You've got to be alert. You've got to be on guard, always on guard. How much more so spiritually? Among God's people, there are those who are going to be babes in Christ, those who are vulnerable, those who who just don't know yet. How about older members of the body who still don't know, who just have been riding the pews or, or the or the benches or what do we got, chairs? There are those who during certain times in their life may be vulnerable. In the last two years, I dare say that there have been members of the body throughout the world who have been vulnerable. Because look at what has happened to the entire world. Where is God in the same place he was before COVID hit? In the same place. He wants us to stay 
with him also. But, but we need help in doing that. And the work of an elder is to make sure that those savage wolves don't come in and tear up the flock. Because there have been many, many that have come in and taken the opportunity to try to destroy the church. Now, what are some of those savage wolves that I'm talking about and the scripture is talking about? One would be false teachers. Church, it's a very serious thing to stay alert and make sure that false teaching does not occur. And it, and it comes in so crafty, sounds so good. It sounds almost right because they might use the scripture, but taking it out of context. Let me use a type of language that won't be hard for us to understand how serious it is. In Titus 1, 7 through 10, he's very bold and brash right here. Don't, he says, don't even let it happen. Over to Chaya Chai chapter 1. And be reading it on verses 7 through 10. It says there, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, for, but hospitable, hospitable, a lover of good, self-control, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. You know, there in verse 9, another version will say, they need to stop the mouths of those who contradict. Don't even let it happen. Don't even, you start, stop it. Stand up and tell them, no, you, you can't, you're not going to teach that here. If somebody starts teaching false doctrine, elders need to deal with it and make sure that that's not taught in the Lord's church. One of the savage wolves might be false teaching and another one may come in and may be, it may look different. And, but we're, we're not sure that that's what it is, but it's sin. You know, you can't let somebody who's blatantly living in sin be in fellowship and act like everything's okay or that's going to spread to everyone else. Just, just like when we were kids, or you know your kids have done it. You let Johnny do this and you won't let me do it. It's the same thing. It's the same thing with, with members of the body, grown adults. Well, you let, I let John do it, so we should let, you know, we should let uh, 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 Jerry do it as well. You let, you know, we, we start becoming like little children. What I know, what, what I know from my family's farm down in uh, Valdosta, Georgia, is that if you get a disease among cattle or among the hogs that they have down there or used to have, they're all going to the same water hole, watering hole. They're going to eat out of the same feed trough. And that disease is going to spread like wildfire because they're eating from the same and drinking from the same thing. Sin is a disease. And if elders allow sin to be in the congregation and allow it to go unchecked, that is a savage wolf that will destroy the Lord's church. Let me mention another savage wolf that is something that elders have the power to stem the tide on. And I don't think we notice it right off because it doesn't necessarily come with teeth glaring and, and snarling at us. And I've talked about this before, 
But I'm talking about apathy. I just, I don't care. I mean, you know, let them deal with it. Too many times we can find ourselves in a rut. We just get comfortable. We kind of like when I was in a marching band and I was a, a drum major and my, 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 my band director was trying to teach me how to conduct um, music better. He will always tell me if it was a faster song, lead it faster. Just lead it faster, and it will come down to where it needs to be um, with all the, all the different uh, musicians there. He said it's kind of like when you're sitting at home on Saturday and, and you're relaxed and you're on your couch and you get all comfortable, and you don't mean to go to sleep, but you get in that rut, and you just sink on down. And, and you get so relaxed, you just allow life to go on. And uh, I was like, I don't know how you took that from music to a couch, but I, I get it now. As an elder, I understand what he what he's getting at is that we need to help each other get out of that rut. Too many times, if we're not careful, we just kind of do things because we've always done them that way. We we just well, it's always been done that way. Nothing really changes. We we go to worship, we sing, we pray. We hear the word of God and we go home. That's what that's what we do on Sunday. We get into a routine. Elders have to make sure that people are busy in the work of God. At least providing opportunities for that. Be steadfast, immovable, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15:58. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. I know that elders cannot make anybody do anything. Nor do I want to us to do that. But elders need to provide opportunities. Elders need to give encouragement. Elders need to be out leading the way. Elders need to be talking to people when they're growing lax. Should be talking to you all the time, but especially if you're growing lax. And encouraging them and doing what we can to help them with God's family. <coughs> Excuse me. All that we do, we need to strive to make sure those things are staying true to the uh, teaching of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Another aspect of the life and work of the elder that I want to mention is this. An elder or the eldership has got to keep a check on one another. And where does that come from? Where, 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 where am I talking about? In Acts chapter 20, verse 30, Paul says, also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. If you have read your Bibles more than just on Sunday, you can see that beginning to have that beginning to happen in the New Testament. In second and third John, Diotrephes wanted to have the preeminence. Uh, there were people throughout the early church history trying to rise up and, and, and one man uh, leading the church, which ultimately led to the papacy or, or having a pope. What we do, what do we do when um, to stem that tide, to stop that from happening within the church, which in this congregation? Well, there's always and there shall always be a plurality of elders in the church, according to the Bible. Elders need to keep check on one another. If someone's not living right inside the eldership or not teaching right, they need to be encouraged to change or step down from within the eldership. They're part of the flock too, are they not? 
And just just so you all are aware, I know I just joked earlier about I'm being the junior elder. That, that was really a joke. I'm just younger than the, the other two elders, but I am under the eldership. James is under the eldership. Ken is under the eldership. We have to keep each other in check. We should never be afraid to talk to one another and tell each other what it is. No, I don't agree with that, brother, according to what Scripture says. And be open to what each other are saying. And I'm telling you, we do that. I'm going to do more just on those Tuesdays when we get together. We talk about some of everything. And James says, if it ain't one thing, it's another. And so we are there for one another to encourage each other. Elders have a responsibility to each other and to watch again over each other. If somebody's not living right or teaching right, that's got to be addressed and dealt with inside the local congregation of the Lord's body so that the leadership does not become infected with disease, with sin. We talked today about the work of an elder. And we mentioned that being a member of the Lord's church and a shepherd over that is the most serious responsibility. But it's also, it's also the greatest privilege. It's a great privilege to be a member of of the Lord's body. It's a great privilege to be counted as one of the saved. Are you here this morning or online and have you taken advantage of that privilege? The privilege that is offered to every person on this earth. Are you a member of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? Of the church of Christ? Jesus promised, I'll build my church, his church, the church of Christ, Matthew sixteen eighteen, The Spirit made the plea, let whosoever will come and drink freely, Revelation 22, 17. Now I'll tell you, Jesus says, come unto me, Matthew chapter 11, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. You need to know that there is good news to be shared, even today amongst all the bad that's out there, and there's so much bad that's out there. God created this world and everything in it in six days. And you know, on that sixth day, sixth day after he was done filling the earth, he made man and he made woman. Put them together, and they became one as husband and wife, no matter what the world tells you. There is no confusion there. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Adam and Eve were their names and they sinned against God sin separates us from God and Adam and Eve and anyone after them were lost for eternity but according to John 3:16 because God loves us so much that he sent his only son to take our place to die for our sins to pay the only price that God would accept to make restitution for Adam's Eve's and anyone else's Sins, talking about you and me, who we're included in that. God wants every person to be with Him in heaven, but He's not going to make you. And I'm going to tell you, He's not going to force you to follow Him. But you can't get to heaven with sin attached to your soul. You see, Jesus died, but I'm here to tell you today, He died, but He lives again. He wants you to be with Him also in heaven, but you you can't get there just because you just because Jesus died for you just because you believe he died for you 
or that you believe in him. He did his part to lay a path and open a door for you. You do not have to wonder how to find that path which leads to that door. In Acts chapter 2, when the people gathered together uh, where to, to hear what Peter and the rest of the apostles had to say, Peter was telling them, these folks, that if they wanted to be right with God, they had to repent, that is, turn your life away from sin and turn towards God, and be baptized. That means that they had to surrender to God, obey him, and allow themselves to be immersed in water. This is how you obey the gospel. This is how you obey that good news. My question to you today is, have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? If not, why not? If not, we encourage you today to, to hear the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, Romans ten seventeen says, and hearing by the word of God. Having heard that Jesus is the savior of the world, the son of God, would you believe that with all your heart? Acts 8, in Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch were going down the world. Here's water. What hinders me? What's stopping me from being baptized? If you believe with all your heart, you may. Acts 8.36 and following. Heaven believe, would you confess Jesus as the Son of God? Repent of those things in your life that are not right. Acts 3.19 and Matthew 10.32-33. Would you do that? Would you do what they did in the New Testament to have your sins forgiven? Peter said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you will, be, you will receive the crown of life or eternal life, Acts 2.38. If you need to obey the gospel, we encourage you to do that. We, we plead with you to do that. God is waiting. God, God's invitation is always open, not just when someone stands in this pulpit. Those that have already obeyed the gospel, I call my brothers and sisters in Christ. But know this, brothers and sisters, just like me, you still sin. So you still must repent of those sins and ask God to forgive you. And I hope you're doing so. See, the difference is, if you have not obeyed the gospel, no amount of praying, no amount of pleading with God or asking Jesus into your heart or just thinking that you're all right will have God forgive you of your sins. The promise is only to his saved children. Won't you be saved today? Whatever you need, I ask that you come as we stand and sing the invitational hymn.